Matt, and with me as always is my co-host Lorna. Hola, buenos dias. Okay. Um, ¿Qué tal? Yeah, Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you just said. Hello, good day, yeah. how are you? Oh, how are you? Good, how are you? Muy bien, gracias. Um, so if you haven't listened to the podcast before, I said podcast, podcast. there, um, well, what do we do on this um, podcast? We take turns to do a report on a topic from history. Um, we try and focus on something that's less known, but if, if it is well known, we try and shine a new light on it. And this week it's my turn to do a report for Matt. Oh, and I don't know what it's on. Um, I, I told you. You mentioned a guy. last week on the um, late hint. In the late hint, but what was the episode? Uh, Murasaki Shikibu. Yes. Um, Lana mentioned the late hint mm-hmm. that uh, it was about a guy. Yeah. That's all we really know. So, Do I think you he said to... he has a disability, and yes, he, he did something amazing by the sound of it. He did. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, do, do you want, want to, to get just, into it? Yeah, yeah I might will. as well. I'll just start. Um, so, upon his death on the 29th of July, 1857, James Holman was argue- arguably the most well-travelled man the world had ever seen. He had travelled over uh, 40,000 kilometres in his lifetime, which is the equivalent of 250,000 miles. Not a bad little log there of miles. And I started earlier, I got my death out I know, I was going to say, I was like, I think you started at the wrong end there. Yeah, but I just wanted to say this. So he spent the um, like a lot of his life seeking out new experiences and exotic islands. Um, he was born on the 12th of October in 1786 in Exeter, and he was the son of an apothecary. Okay. Apothecary. Have you ever heard of James Holman? No. I haven't heard of him either. I've heard of Exeter. Yes, place. I've heard of October. Oh, good. <laughs> what about the 12th of October? No, don't okay. know that one. Um, so he was born in 1786. When he was 12, he entered the British Royal Navy as a first-class volunteer, and in 1807 he was appointed as a lieutenant. So that's quite young to be volunteering in the Navy, really. Yeah, 12? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we don't, don't do that anymore. No. In 1810, or when he was 19 years old, there's different conflicting accounts. He was off the coast of the Americas on a ship called the Guerriere, uh, when he was invalided by an illness. So this first affected his joints and he was in a lot of pain and it began with throbbing in his feet and it was thought to be a sign of rheumatism. Mm. Um, this combined with sickness that James went on to ignore. So he had, but some thought it was sickness because he was at sea. Yeah. So, but he was just like, I'll be fine. Commonly known as seasickness. Yeah, but... um. So he went on to ignore it, but the following years, his health was consist- consistently fluctuating between better and worse. So he'd get really, really bad pains in his joints and he wouldn't be able to move, but he didn't do anything about it and it kept fluctuating. Uh, but the illness then went on to affect his vision. Oh, no. The pain left his joints and instead surged to his eyes. His vision clouded and then his sight vanished and to this day it remains a mystery how this happened. Oh. Yeah. So at the age of 25, Holman was left totally and permanently blind. Many people were hopeful that his sight would return like doctors and like educated people. Um, however, over the following months, he became miserable because there was no going back from being blind. Well, I thought you'd got the uh, the most tragic bit out of the way what early mean? doors. I'm sorry, but death. everybody dies. So. Everybody's going to die. <laughs> That's what J. Cole said. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, so now it's all good though, really. Yeah. So well, well it's not. not yeah, well, yeah. It's not. It's not. It's all been bad so far. He died, and no, he's gone blind. No, so he was born. He had an all right time in the navy. He learned to sail ships. And now he's. Then he went blind. Now he's went blind. But it's. But now it's all. Can only go it's up. All looking up, yeah, for him. So there wasn't really much information about the start of his life. It was just pretty much I what, tell, I, yeah. what I gave you. That's all I could find. Yeah, it seemed we've had this a lot on our reports that a lot. That's of, not the important bit of their lives for a lot of people. Yeah, they don't get documented really. So no, and also James went on to do other stuff, which is how his stuff's documented. But he would never refer to his early life really because right. it wasn't relevant to him. Yeah. So as a result of his affliction. Um, because it was due to his duty, because he was at work when he went across to the Americas. Mm-hmm. He was in the Navy and that's caused his sight problem. He was appointed to the Naval Knights of Windsor in 1812 and it granted him a lifetime of care in Windsor Castle. In return for his room and board, James was required to attend church twice daily. Oh. I'm not sure about that. And this restricted his active habits and his previously keen interests, and it led to low feelings. Hmm. Which I imagine, like, I don't think I would enjoy going to church twice a day. I but I guess it's not a bad deal in exchange for food in a room. I don't enjoy going to church twice a year, to be no. honest. It's not bad, though. I've been to one where they let the kids run around with, like, ribbons and stuff, and they had a proper band, and that was pretty funny. Sounds quite a laid-back church. Yeah, I think it was a bit. I'll have a good carol service. Oh. Me and my family go once a year to uh, church. And uh, we go on Christmas Eve, if anyone wants to join us. <laughs> um, and there's always a carol service for half an hour on before. Wait, so you go to the carol service and then stay for and church? Then, yeah, stay for, yeah, you can't go to the carol service and be like, sorry, priest, I'm, <sighs> I'm out of here now. Um, I used to go to carol services um, at uni. And we used to go to church on Sundays because my friend helped out. But one day my friend went out drinking in the day and had many doubles and then was serving the food. uh, Yeah, like double vodka and coke or whatever. And then he was serving the food to like all the Christian union from uni. And and he was steaming. (laughs) It was so bad. (laughs) We were just laughing at him and he just kept giggling and we were like, George. (laughs) Oh, just ruined his name. Hi, George. Not good. So anyway, back to James. He was feeling low and he felt himself becoming ill because he couldn't really do anything. So he took a number of leaves of absence. The first um, to study medicine and literature at the University of Edinburgh. At least he still wants to do stuff. That's good. Yeah, well, he's allowed to do a lot of stuff. Mm. You'll find out. And throughout this time, the pain in his bones um, fluctuated, but his sight didn't come back. And seven years after going blind, he took another leave of absence. So he did his studying. Mm. He took another leave of absence when his joints were painful again. His doctor had suggested that a warmer climate may be beneficial for his body. And he thought it was a good idea to try. Yeah. So on his 32nd birthday, on the 15th of October, 1819, Holman boarded a ship at Dover and set sail for France. His first journey did not start well and he was left in a carriage whilst other passengers boarded a ferry from Bordeaux in France and he'd been left with their luggage and was being towed down the doggone what? river. How did that happen? Well, nobody told him that they got off. Oh, so... so apparently they were like drinking wine and eating cow's tongue or something. Yeah, classic. And then um, nobody told him that they left the, the place. So I think they were on this ship and then they all got off and got in a different carriage and he was left with all the luggage. And he was used as a ballast, which I think is like a weight. Like, oh. I don't know what a ballast is, but oh. 
bit rude, that, isn't it? It's a bit rude that no one told told him. I know, but it's just what happened. But <laughs> where did he so, end up then? Well, he he wanted to go into France, like I'll explain in a minute what he ended up doing. So, despite the bad start, he learnt to assert himself, which. So he had a bad start, he got treated pretty badly, but then he asserted yeah. himself and no doubt that led to a better times. Okay. So he was he asserted himself as a human being rather than a human sandbag, one oh, really? website said. His spirits brightened and he went on to meet interesting people. He was welcomed into a mansion by a noble woman in Montpellier. He mm. skinny dipped in Marseille and he harvested grapes on a vineyard estate in Nice. So he's doing So all he's right, having yeah. a good time after he asserted himself. Yeah. And people began to flock to him. And he was keen to keep on travelling, as this uh, was what allowed him to forget his pain. So, he was forgetting his pain, and whilst on his travels, he became an experienced navigator. He carried a metal walking stick that he repeatedly tapped on the ground, and he manoeuvred using echolocation and listening to the sounds of clinks and thuds from his walking stick ricochet off his surroundings. I was thinking it must be really difficult. Obviously, it's really difficult now to be blind, but... Back in the day, it was real. Yeah, because like, there was no like advanced technology. I was or thinking anything. that when you talked about him learning medicine and stuff, I was like, how like Braille, obviously, but yeah, like what is? You but know, it, I just don't think it was advanced, obviously. When I read this article as well, it said that other people used to like scrape the stick along the floor to like feel where they were going, mm-hmm. but he used it as a way to figure out echolocation. Yeah, like the that's what whales do, isn't it? It is, and dolphins. So, from France, James moved into the Mediterranean, and whilst in Rome, he climbed Trajan's Pillar, the Tarpian Rock, and Monte Testaccio in one day. I don't know any of them places, do you know? I think the bars. <laughs> no. He even tried to scale the top of St. Peter's Basilica, but guards denied him the, denied him because of his Britishness. Um, the last time a Brit had climbed to the summit, a Union Jack had been placed Aww. there, and Can't they weren't happy about that. But um, how did they not realise? They were like, what are you doing with that Union Jack no, in your back pocket? No, they must have rolled it up or something. Weren't, yeah. Didn't clothes used to be more baggier? I reckon you could hide loads up, up like a, a blouse. Do you mean like the 90s they were baggier? Or... No, I mean oh, like okay. in the olden days. 1790s. Yeah. He also climbed Mount Vesuvius and when asked if he needed Careful. help, he denied it and said he could feel things better with his feet. A lot of the accounts is like, he hired this guide but he was too good for the guide, so... <laughs> Mount Vesuvius. Yeah. Is that dormant? Is that? I'm fairly sure that one was erupting while he. While he wandered. He's like, oh, a bit warm there. I think so. <laughs> bit of a hot one on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's lava. <laughs> yeah, that's one. That one is lava. Can't feel my feet. Ah, they've gone. No, I think it was erupting whilst he was up there. Oh, nice. But some were up nicely, don't they? Like slowly. Oh like, yeah. Might not been doing anything. I don't know. Might just be bubbling. Maybe. In Naples, James bumped into an old friend who'd also suffered a sensory loss and was now deaf. This is the cutest thing. The two decided to journey around Europe together and they progressed 115 miles walking arm in arm. They each used their senses to their advantage. So James would... um, Listen. He would listen and communicate with people, Mm -hmm. whereas his friend would read receipts and read like... Look where they're going as well. So, oh, it's so cute that though. Uh, when the two departed modern Italy, James required a new passport as he'd done so much travelling and his old one was full. Oh. So, he's loving it. How um how did he pay for all this? Was he... I've not a clue. Noble born? What was he? 
Well, no, because he went into the Navy and then mm. I'm assuming he got like an allowance from the Navy because he's, he yeah, got injured on duty. I suppose, but you wouldn't think that would cover him. Like, it doesn't cover people now, does it? Really? I didn't even think about how we would pay for it. it Just gallivanting across yeah. Europe. Uh, Holman continued on to Switzerland, Germany and the, ne- the Netherlands and he returned to Britain alone in 1821. He had left an invalid and was now returning as an explorer. So that's two years after he set off. Yeah. Following his adventure, he put pen to paper and wrote his first book, which has the longest title for a book I've ever seen. Are you ready? I'm ready. The narrative of a journey undertaken in the years 1819, 1820 and 1821 through France, Italy, Savoy, Switzerland, parts of Germany bordering on the Rhine, Holland and the Netherlands, comprising incidents that occur to the author who has long suffered under a total deprivation of sight with various points of information collected on his tour. By James. <laughs> so that is so. How long. are we going to show on this, right? I um, think you just go the narrative of an adventure of a blind traveller, eighteen nineteen to eighteen twenty one, in, in Germany. Europe. In yeah, Europe. Sorry. Europe. European like, narrative. European, of European journey. European journey. <laughs> by James. What's his name? Holman. Co- brackets blind. <laughs> 1819 18, dash, dash 1821. Exactly, that's, what, that was the first thing I thought. 1819, 1828. I was like, just put 1819 <laughs> to 21. Not even 1821. My favourite part is the bit where it's like, through France, Italy, Savoy, Switzerland, parts of Germany yeah. bordering on the Rhine. I know, what's that about? <laughs> Holland and the Netherlands. Comprising incidents in capital letters yeah. that occurred to the author who had long suffered under a total deprivation of sight with various points of information collected on it. It's too much. I know, it's too long. Imagine, what's, but, what's the acronym of that? <laughs> T-N-O-A-J. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but it was a bestseller but, and a critical success. Imagine going into the bookshop and going, uh, can oh, I have one of the narrative <laughs> of a journey on the... T- <laughs> I can't read it. keep doing it again. <laughs> Undertaken in the years 18. Anyway. They only sell about three days because it takes that long to say it. <laughs> this is what I was saying before, though, when I was saying that he didn't really account for his early life. He was just interested in writing of his travels. Mm -hmm. Which is fair enough. After exploring, Holman was determined to continue his achievements and he set his sights on circumnavigating the globe. Which is a big one. In 1822, so a year after he got back, he boarded the HMS Saunders Hill, a name for St. Petersburg in Russia. This was the first stop on his attempt to circle the globe and his uh, plan for his route was to spend the winter in western Russia travel through Siberia in spring and then go through Mongolia and sneak into China and from there get onto a whaling ship aiming for Hawaii and then improvise. So Yeah, I like the last bit, always being improvised. <laughs> well, he, he, this, he says, this was typical, this is my next sentence, this was typical of Holman who meandered into each foreign country with no itinerary, likely no understanding of the language and no relationships with residents of these countries. Very spontaneous typical guy. British. <laughs> Um, he just arrived and then would explore thoroughly, which is quite nice, really. Yeah, it must be. Oh, this must be difficult for him. I'm just yeah. trying to find out when Peter the Great, if he was. Uh, he, I think he died about a little bit before that. I think he died in the 1700s, didn't he? Oh yeah, he died in 1725. They wouldn't have crossed so he paths. Missed it. No. Gutted. Holman had this plan. But this was thought to be ambitious and crazy at the time because when back in that day, there was no such thing as an amateur circumnavigator. Those who had successfully travelled 
had done so through their jobs as sailors, merchants, diplomats and missionaries. No one had done it before for the experience. There's no gap here. No, there's not. There's no Lonely Planet guides. No. No. Um, The plan was also considered questionable as Russians were known for regarding foreigners with suspicion. It was risky to travel to Russia as deportation was usually expected. So, it's a bit of a risk. The start of the journey was tough as the HMS Saunders Hill almost sank in the Thames. The boat... The boat... Good start. For anyone who doesn't know, which is everyone, probably, we um, we took a slight break in between yes. that final sentence a minute ago and then and then your sentence just then. Yeah. Um, we but- actually... Lana, what happened? My car wouldn't start again, so we had to go and bump start it with my dad. Yeah, Lana's uh, been having some problems with the battery of her car, so yeah. we... Uh, not my fault this time. Well, we don't know. It's not confirmed. Definitely not. So, it's got the car sorted, pushed it down the hill, bump started it. We drove to McDonald's, got some McFlurries, and now oh, we're here. Yes. We're, we're back. back. Um, seamless. And I've already messed up. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been seamless had I not just interrupted. Ruined it. Yeah. Anyway, I'll start again. The start of the journey was tough um, because the boat almost sank in the Thames. It had lurched, oh, lurched ah, from lurched. its anchorage in the middle of the night as the anchor chain had snapped um that's because an errant coal ship had collided with it so now it was floating down the thames holman rushed to the deck and with his experience as a former sailor in the royal navy he felt his way to the deck once there he grabbed the wheel and began to steer the ship himself where how where did it wait he managed to steady the boat and navigate it towards a nearby harbor for repairs whilst the captain was dealing with an emergency elsewhere when the captain returned to the helm, he was shocked as he had assumed the person guiding the boat had been his wife from across the deck. Uh, instead, he found the blind Holman in a nightgown. So all he saw was a nightgown and thought, he was like, oh, the ship's in safe hands. There's my wife steering oh, the wow. ship. But really, it was a blind man. Um, <laughs> he did really well there. But then it wasn't the end of the troubles for the ship because it was also detained off the Russian coast by a band of drunk customs officers who demanded brandy in exchange for a passport stamp. Mm-hmm. So that obviously gave him brandy. But despite these hiccups, James made it to St. Petersburg and he dined on fish pies, reindeer tongue, and a waffle, which at the time was unknown. He described it as like a little square thing made of mold. It's oh. not now made of mold, so that's, I don't know. That's a poor waffle you're having there, yeah, James. Yeah, no. So he's in St. Petersburg, which is what we know. Sorry. And the next spring, he embarks for Moscow and had a seven week carriage ride on a rocky road. Uh, the road was unfinished and was lined mm, with fir trees. Rocky road's good as well. Once there, he visited art museums, toured cathedrals and hiked up mountains. Um, this sounds like a good trip, but at times, great. Holman got himself into trouble. Whilst in the Kremlin's treasury room, which is home to the Tsar's thrones, jewels and crowns, he sat on Boris Godunov's throne and the guards were very angry. And I forgot to look up who he is. They need to put something in front of it then. You know, now you have like a red... Rope. Oh, yeah, the red rope. Should have had that. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Days later, Holman also shamelessly climbed into the Tsar's cannon, a legendary 17.5 foot long wide barreled right. mortar. So the, the throne, okay, I can <laughs> sort of see. Oh, he was, he la- he was looking was a for chair. a chair. He's going for a chair. <laughs> the cannon's a plan. He's 
gone on it. I've heard yeah. this. I can hear the tour guide saying this is a famous yeah, cannon. Oh, let me just wander over. Oh, there's a cannon. <laughs> oh, is that what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's a bit adventurous. Probably a bit too adventurous. He did not stay long in Moscow and began to move towards Siberia. Um, this was a 3,500 mile journey. And for this, he hired a driver to steer a wagon and he stockpiled it with medicine, tea, sugar, six bottles of brandy, six bottles of French wine, some cups, bags of coins and a teapot. And soon after setting off, they got lost and Holman and the driver began bickering because they realised they had no way of communicating the mm. same things all the time. Uh, but this was soon resolved and forgotten when they arrived at future destinations. In the city of Vladimir, the local citizenry chauffeured Holman to a cathedral to see a painting of St. Vladimir. Which is an interesting choice, really. Yeah, well, it is a city of <clears throat> Unless you could feel, feel the painting. Oh, they don't tend to let you do that. Remember that time we got quite close to a painting and someone showered at us? Yeah. Uh, Happens a lot. It does. I'm I like, had to be a guard of a painting at uh, oh, yeah. Manchester International Festival. It was a guard of a note, actually. Oh, yes. Um, and I had to be like, no photos. Like, step back, please. Was that... um? Written by the guy from Joy Division. Yeah, I think it was some song lyrics. Good honor. Um, whilst in the province of Nizhny Novgorod, yeah. the Prince of Georgia invited him to a stately dinner and a guided tour of the local monastery. Yeah, he knows people, doesn't he? I know, he's, he's a phenomenon. Being deep in Russia meant that Holman was often a suspicious character. In Kazan, a policeman tailed him. And in Mimesy, Mimes. An officer asked Holman to stay for an interview. Mm. In September 1823, Holman arrived in the Siberian city of Irkutsk, and locals celebrated his arrival with dinners and dances. He also became friends with the Governor General of Eastern Siberia, Alexander Stanovich Levinsky, and it was him that uh, Holman spilled his secret of his intention to uh, travel the globe and tour the world. Mm. So he hadn't told anyone before, he's just off on this adventure, but now he told someone. Weeks later, so he carries on travelling, weeks later the Emperor sent a Russian military courtier to collect James Holman as he wanted to see the blind traveller with his own eyes. Um, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah, sorry. Um, but three years after his departure on the 18th of January 1924, Holman's first attempt to circle the globe was ended in southeastern Siberia. He was sent a message by a Feldjager who was a transporter of messages and had a terrible reputation. And the message um, that Holman got was, he just said, you're coming with me. Why did he have a terrible reputation? Um, I think they transported messages and they weren't very nice. Uh. I think they were a bit violent, potentially. Um, so the message was, you're coming with me. Holman begged the Governor-General to allow him to continue in the Mongolian, onto the Mongolian border, but his request was denied. When he got back to Moscow, he was held prisoner. He was locked in a hotel and banned oh. from writing letters to friends, and a spy was assigned to monitor his movements. Why? What did he do wrong? They were suspicious. I told you before, it's whiskey. Oh. Holman was eventually cleared and dumped at the border of Russia. He then aimed westward and was resigned to try again. So, he's dumped at the border of Russia. He's back to... Square one. Well, not quite square one. Square so three. He, he goes back to Britain. But he didn't wait long to try again. So that was January uh, 1824. And in eight, uh, August 1827, Holman was on his way to Africa. Quite a long time after for me. It's three years. I know, but he has to save up. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, although we're not sure how he we does his We don't know how he does anything. 
After a three-month voyage, the HMS Eden arrived at the island of Fernando Po, Ooh. which is today called Bioko, oh. um, and it's 22 ah. miles off the coast of Cameroon. Got two things for you there. Go on. The island of Fernando is, <laughs> sounds like, is it the island of Fernando? It's the Isle of Fernando, that, that's what um, they say on... Um, winners on Take Me Out, yes, the um, UK talk show, no, game uh, show. Yeah, dating show. Dating show. They go to the island of Fernando, the Isle of Fernando. So that's interesting. Also, it's a, it's today called Bioko, which is like Ben Cospio. Mm-hmm. Ho. Bioko. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. Is that what it's named after? I don't know if that's oh. what it's named after, but it's spelled exactly the same. Brilliant. So. That's a, that's an episode we did previously. Mm-hmm. Ben Cospioco and So have something, a listen. Something, something. Good one. Anyway. Um, so they're 22 miles off the coast of Cameroon. On this little island, the ship was here to chase slave ships. Um, oh. As ships were often ordered to patrol the African coast following the abolition of the Atlantic slave mm. trade in eighteen oh eight. Okay, so they're doing it. Okay, and so it's nice. They're not. Things, they're not yeah. slave ship. They're getting rid of yeah. slave ships. Holman also helped the ship on one mission, chasing three slave schooners up the Calabar River in Nigeria. The ship also later went on to capture three slave ships and save more than three hundred thirty oh. human beings. It's good, isn't it? It's a good one. So, he's on this ship, which is a good ship, but there was a risk of malaria on this ship, Mm. and James Holman went on to be among 12 lucky survivors. Oh, wow. 90% died. Flipping, eh? It was that bad. Um, But this luck allowed him to continue travelling. From Africa, Holman boarded a Dutch vessel and sailed to Rio de Janeiro. Whilst here, he got pneumonia. However, he did not let this stop him. He left his sickbed immediately when asked if he wanted to tour the gold mines of Gongo Soco in the Brazilian forest. I can't say no to Gongo Soco, mm, I know. to be honest. To the gold mines. The gold mines. I know. It's pretty adventurous. I hope our travelling isn't quite so full of illness. illness. Uh, with you, I never know. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, he I learned... have a weak immune system. <laughs> You'll be fine, don't worry. I'll be brilliant. He left South uh, America and went on to South Africa and spent time on the ship on his way over, drinking tea, listening to a volunteer read to him uh, and reading and wandering the ship. He would also sleep on the deck on clear nights, which is quite cute. Like stargazing. Mm -hmm. Whilst in South Africa, he learnt to ride a galloping horse. He went into the African forest, went along the Great Fish River and met a Gaika chief, which I'm not sure is who that is. I love how you put these things in and don't don't (laughs) Don't clear anything up, up, but it sounds good. Yeah. Uh, Whilst at sea, Holman also met a diplomat, Dr. Robert Leal, who was on the run after he'd been accused of sorcery in Madagascar. He told Holman not to travel to Madagascar, so naturally, Holman went to Madagascar. Yeah, he's heard this sorcery there. I know. From Madagascar, he moved on to Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, where he joined an elephant hunt. He joined an unsophisticated crew who gave him a firearm. Uh, Which sounds like a very bad idea. Oh, not great. <laughs> um, Holman also barely escaped a stampede. Using He's up his a lot of travelling. <laughs> he then sailed to India, and on the way through the Straits of Malacca, his vessel dodged pirates. He moved on to China, oh. what he'd been dreaming of. However, in China, they were not very welcoming, and they had strict rules regarding foreigners. So he was restricted to a riverbank commune, which is where foreigners were allowed. Um, but he brushed off this disrespect by smoking opium. So he's really a trier of all things. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, how, do we know this is all true? This seems very. And this like, is all what he's written in his book. Adventure book. 
Yeah. Well, he was an adventurer. Yeah, I suppose. Um, Homer went back to sea and travelled to Australia, where in Sydney he was greeted with fanfare. He travelled around an uncharted part of the land, eating squirrel and possums. Mm. Two of the horses on the expedition um, went missing, and he was taken on this expedition of an uncharted area of Australia with a convict, two Australians and two Aboriginal guides. After Australia, he travelled the Pacific around Cape Horn and journeyed home. In 1832, aged 45, he landed in Britain and he travelled the world. His account of his world trip did not fit into one book and was instead summed up in four. Wow. The combined total is nearly 2,000 pages long. Which is a lot. It's quite a lot, yeah. I bet the titles are real long as well. I haven't included them because they were so long. But, yeah. So, he went travelling. Five years later, he'd seen the world. On his home. What do you do then? Well, having achieved his goal, Ah. (laughs) it did not stop him and he continued exploring the world for the next 10 years. He zigzagged across the globe. By October 1846, Holman had visited every inhabited continent. He was always exploring new places and rarely retraced his steps. He travelled across Ireland, the Mediterranean Sea, Greek islands, the Holy Land, North Africa, Syrian cities, Slavic countries and nearly every European city he had missed on his first tour. Which is a lot of cities. I don't think travelling across Ireland is that impressive. <laughs> the rest of them sound really good. No, but like, think how many cities are around the UK and I've not been to them all. So well, he nearly no, went to no. all European cities. That is insane. Mm. I think I've been to maybe about less 10. cities back then. Into about twenty, maybe. What in, in the UK? In the world? Oh. No, I've been to a few more, but I've still not been to that. In the UK, I've been to about five. Let's name Manchester, Manchester Leeds, Leeds, Newcastle, Newcastle, London, London, Liverpool, Liverpool. Thinking more north. Yeah. Chester, Chester, York, York. Hey, you've been to a lot. I've been to seven. Well, well, there's more than that that you've been... Sheffield. Sheffield. Lancaster. Oh, Lancaster. Nine. Durham. Durham. Ten. Oh, there you go. Ah, we nailed that. Birmingham. South. I've not been to Birmingham. Wow. <laughs> right, so we've been to a few, but he's been to loads. He's been to many more. I don't know if the cities have changed since then, though. I think that's for a geography student. It is. That's not us. This is an idiot's talk no, geography, isn't no. it? No, it's idiot's talk history. It is. Um, James Holman died at age 70 in 1857. Good innings. Within a week of finishing writing his autobiography. At this point, he'd walked, climbed, ridden, hiked and sailed a total distance equivalent to the moon. He beat others who were said to be the greatest travellers of the world, including Marco Polo, Zhuan Zhang. Ah, tripped you on that. It's X U A N. Where's Dan when we need Z-A-N-G. him? Z A N G. It's probably spelled. It's probably said Zhang Wan. No, yeah. How do you say the next one? I B N Batuta. Batuta and James Cook. Ah, James Cook. Yeah. <laughs> Some have argued that Holman died the most well-travelled man in the world, but I've never heard of Holman. But I've heard of Marco Polo. I've heard of Marco Polo. <laughs> I've heard of James Cook. I've heard of James Cook as well. I've heard, I've read Ibn Battuta. There's a funny story about when we played Marco Polo. Um, Have we mentioned this on the podcast probably before? Probably. In a pool in Vietnam and um, we were, Matt was shouting Marco and we were shouting Polo and um, we accidentally deceived him into grabbing a random woman. <laughs> Sounds a lot worse than it was. Um... 
the sort of good friends that I don't know who may who, who allow you to oh it was good fun trick you into grabbing women. Anyway, back to this. No, but you didn't grab her. You just tapped her because you're feeling round oh, for yeah. people. You you didn't grab her. She didn't. I don't even know how she reacted. Did she know I was coming she towards was laughing, her? Yeah. Oh well, that's she fine. She knew we were then. playing a game. Um, next time we'll play James Holman. James. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I like that. Uh, back to the topic. The manuscript describing Holman's final journey went missing. And by the 20th century, Holman's name had been scrubbed from the canon of great explorers. His travel and writings were not accepted by the 19th century public. His DNA weren't scrubbed from that canon he climbed into. Oh, that gosh. Was that was rubbish. Thanks. Um, Thank you. The 19th century public refused to believe that a blind man could observe the world without such... With such insight and depth, without without sight. As a result, Holman's insights were largely ignored, except from consideration by leading minds like Sir Richard Burton and Charles Darwin. Never heard of him. This was later. Uh (laughs) It's a shame as some people have claimed that his being blind did not mean that his travelling was an accomplishment, but when James Holman travelled, he immersed himself in the culture and therefore he documented some things which others would have missed. He made him a name for himself as the blind traveller. I think we also um, immerse ourselves in the culture. We definitely don't, Matt. We, at Vietnam, I must have had about four pizzas. Burgers. <laughs> and about fajitas. four burgers. A couple of times I had fajitas. Just trying the, the local one, food. <laughs> the one time we got given Vietnamese food and I think only one of us could eat it. Oh, I was very unwell. <laughs> I was, I was severely unwell. unwell. Probably all that European food. But but, but to end on a happy note, the blind community have adopted James Holman as part of their heritage and the work of individuals remember and highlight his achievements. Um, Just an example, in June 2017, the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired, a non-profit charity from San Francisco, awarded their first James Holman Prize for Blind Ambition, which is awarded to blind or partially sighted individuals with big dreams. That's good, isn't it? And they get $25,000. Wow. Big money. Big money, big dreams. So that's really nice. That is similar similar story to last week's in a way. Both very um, accomplished, both very inspiring individuals Mm -hmm, and both ended with a prize being awarded in their name. Yep. Oh. I think that's the dream though, isn't it? Is it? The prize being yeah. awarded in your name? What, that's my big question. What's your prize for? Yeah, if you're going to award a prize in your name, what's it for? Um, I don't think I'm that good at anything. You are. Podcasting. You're good at football. And podcasting. And writing. Oh, well, podcasting's up in the air. <laughs> the jury's still saying on it. <laughs> Podcasting, trying to convince everyone. I think um, I'd like to have an Idiot's Talk History podcast prize oh that's a good one and then instead of giving out a prize of like five thousand pound we'll give you three pound a month for your patreon account <laughs> for the next four years oh that would be it's good. not a lot is it but that's still. a little investment that's good that's yeah. got longevity there you go good that's, yeah that is a good one well done thanks quick as well i know no what about you um <laughs> mine's definitely a creative one Mm, don't know. It's tough. It's really tough. Help me out. You're good at this. Um, probably for the arts. What about a knitting prize? I'm not that what good about at a baby knitting prize? I've for the best. One hat. The best <laughs> baby at knitting. 
Learn about Very it. Baby good. knitting prize. Very good. Lana's recently knitted a hat for her unborn nephew. <laughs> nephew. My cousin. Oh, second cousin. Second, which is sad. Yeah. Isn't it? Second um, cousin. And I'm gonna be anti Lana. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you'll uh, give out a prize. Yeah, I will. Baby shouldn't use knitting needles, but well, they'll use if they baby do... proof ones. They can use extreme knitting needles, which are the big ones. Okay. And then I they, bet they come... can't fit in their hands. We'll have to do it teamwork. Right, surprise mother for two and... babies. Oh, no, I thought you said like mother and daughter. But... Oh, no, oh, no. Okay. Two, two babies. babies. The dual, the Lorna Barrett dual <laughs> baby knitting bride. Oh, beautiful. There you go. Um, are you ready for oh, okay. Lorna's movie corner? Yeah. Lorna's movie corner. Oh, love it. I thought you were going to do it, to be honest. But... So, um, for five minutes before, I did try and find... If there was any films of James Holman. Okay. Obviously, there's just his books. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah, there's just his... Book. Quite a Corner. few books. I think he wrote about... He wrote loads. He wrote one called The Soft Side of a Soldier. That's Aww. cute. Then he wrote The Voyage Around the World, Volume 1. And then tra- Voyage... Around yeah. the World, Volume 2. Oh, no, they're all Volume 1, these. Why are they? Yeah, and then he wrote Travels Through Russia. Long list again. Long list on all of them. And then it actually got better because he put etc, etc instead of listing like them all that. sometimes. I like that. Anyway, so there's no films oh. about the actual James Holman. But? But there is a James Holman who okay, exists. Okay, brilliant. He lives in Queenstown in New Zealand. Oh, we want him. And he's lived there. And in the past three years, he's made commercials, documentaries, and action sports programming. Go on, so, give us a name of some of his classic programs. James Holman, oh this one's for gosh. you. Oh, gosh. Just a second, it's opening. As an editor... If you're from Queenstown in New Zealand, get in contact. A documentary short called Youth of Yangon, and then he did another documentary called Winnerham, New Zealand. Winnerham... Winner? Winnerham, New Zealand. Yeah. So, oh, is it? So he's not an actor. I thought he was an no, actor. No, he's the director or the editor oh. or the cinematographer. Oh, you, you, he loves. He did a few roles in Youth of Yang. Oh yeah, Youth of Yang, and it was one of his That's best. That's the one. One of his best. Yeah. That's well, all we've got. Yeah, I'm sorry. I struggled on Movie Corner this week, but we'll look up that film for next time. <laughs> Tell <laughs> you if it's any good. But <laughs> well, um, hi, James. If you're listening, actual James. Yeah. Probably not. Um, very unlikely. Okay. Yeah. We'll tag him on Twitter. Oh, I'd love it. Let's find him on Twitter and tag him. <laughs> oh. Speaking of Twitter, good segue. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter, get in contact, give us a um, a little... A tweet. Tweet. Tweet, tweet. That's, what, that's the word, yeah. Uh, a topic, maybe, you follow. want us to do. Or a follow. At mm-hmm. Idiot History Pod on Twitter. Just search Idiots yeah. to Talk History and you'll find us. I don't know why I decided not to have at Idiots Talk History. I mean, just got a bit carried away, didn't uh, you, one yeah. And um, at idiothistorypod at gmail.com if you want to get contact that way. Um, give us a nice review if possible. Tell a friend. Tell two. Tell two friends. Tell three. Okay. Let's not go overboard. Tell all your friends if Tell you've got more all than your friends. Send out a group message oh, to all your friends. I love a group chat. Um, and thanks for listening. Yes. I've got a late hint for you. I was about to ask. What is it? Mad's late hint. Um... Hmm. Well, oh, okay. His throat <laughs> was interested. It was like, oh, what's, what's going on? <laughs> Obviously, you can't see me, but I'm just shaking my head. Okay, <laughs> this um, next week coming up, 
is episode 50. What? Thank you. Good reaction. Very loud in the listeners' ears. Sorry, everyone. I was waving my hands and everything as well. So, I thought we'd do... Well, I thought I'd do something 50-year related. 50 big uns. Yes. 50 years ago was obviously 1968. It is from 50 years ago. And, yeah. Oh, I thought okay. I'd do something, something from 50 years ago. Is it something to do with the moon? It's not to do with the moon. Is it something to do with the Cold War? It's not to do with the Cold War. Is it something to do with America? It's not to do with America. Mm-hmm. It's to do with a European city and then a European country. Is in it 1968, Paris? I'll leave it at that. Let us all leave with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. See you later. Bye. <laughs> You're ruined it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so.